Hi, y'all. You're listening to Ordinary People, Ordinary Things with me, your host, Melissa Radke, the ordinariest of us all. Hey, guys, it's me, the AG. I wanted to jump in here real quick before we dive into the podcast and tell you about something that Melissa and I are excited about. Other than our stellar parenting, our marriage is what we are asked about the most. After 25 long years, I can see why. Melissa has put together a special audio for you guys on the topic of marriage. We made it audio since you clearly like listening to things in your car. So go to melissaradke.com or check out today's show notes for more information and to download this free resource that will give you the steps to take to start strengthening your marriage today. But hey, to my single friends out there, did you really think I would forget about you? Never! I'm so proud of you and I want to encourage you with a love letter of sorts just for you. Hey, I am the product of broken dreams and broken places and waiting. Oh, the waiting. If there is one thing I understand, it is that the heart wants what the heart wants. So go to melissaradke.com or check out today's show notes for more information and to download this free special gift from me to you. When I am sitting with my friends, I like to talk about hair, fashion, the latest eyebrow trend, or whether keto really even works. We talk about more serious things too, our marriages, parenting, whether keto really works, but rarely, maybe ever, have we just dove in to the topic of grief. And this is weird because we all grieve. We've never had an in-depth conversation about being shot out of a military plane because none of us have, you know ever been shot out of a military plane. (laughs) So you can see why we don't talk about it, but grief? We've all grieved. Within my set of friends is one whose marriage is ending, one who's buried a child, three or four who have buried a parent, two who have filed bankruptcy, a few who have checked their husband, their wife, or their child into rehab. Grief is this thing we all have in common, and yet we don't talk about it. Why? Because we think grief is just crying? Because we think grief is a guest that stays for a week or two and leaves after ample chocolate has been eaten? That's absurd. I believe we don't talk about grief because grief is a party crasher, man. It's a buzzkill. It's rain on a parade. So we touch in it briefly until we can somehow get back to eyebrows and keto. Shame on us. Grief is not going away. It and its ripples and its breaks and its cracks will be with us forever rearing its ugly head when we least expect it, changing us forever. As long as we're living, breathing, and walking this earth, grief will be a part of our lives or a part of the lives of those around us. So we might as well learn a little bit about it. And that's where my friend Stephanie comes in. My guest today is Stephanie Boyce. Stephanie with an F. It's very important that you know that. And she is no stranger to grief. She has experienced it firsthand. And more than once, but I'll let her tell you about that. Suffice it to say that if today you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Stephanie is here for you. Because sometimes grief is the death of a loved one, but sometimes it's the death of a dream or a marriage. And guess what? It has to be dealt with and walked through, acknowledged and faced. And it's high time, y'all. It's high time we talk about it. And I am so very grateful that Stephanie 
has offered to talk about it with us. So hi, Stephanie Boyce. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very, very good. I have a great memory of you. You are literally, you know what you are? You're a Prince Charming. Because I've oh. met you one time and you swept me off my feet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, oh my goodness. You know, honestly, though, it's so true that there are very few people in the world who can make an impression on someone that quick. And you really did for me. I met you one time in kind of a whirlwind circumstance, a bunch of people around. I liked you instantly. I think our hearts just kind of connected. Yeah, it's totally mutual. Oh, good. I'm so glad. But I don't know. I think that you have a voice that women need to hear. However, I can ensure that that happens, even if it's through this little bitty tiny podcast. You know, we call ourselves the little engine that could because we just kept getting viewers and listeners and it's been crazy. But um, I think the world needs to hear you. So I'm going to just say, may I please help you make that happen somehow? I just I want your voice out there for sure. <laughs> you are so sweet and so generous. I'm so excited to share our story and I honestly just want women to feel encouraged and men too, Mm -hmm. but just be encouraged by our journey and what God has done in its midst. Good. Okay. Well, let's get started. Let me start by saying how much I love one of the descriptions that I read. You have it on your social media page, describing yourself as, and this is a quote, going from type A to plan B. Let me repeat that. I'm going to have an Oprah moment where I repeat that going from type A to plan B. And isn't that so true? Because Here are the plans we made. God, do you like them? We made these plans and we made these lists. And here's my vision board. And I want all of these things to happen just so. And then, hello, we wake up and realize that nothing has turned out maybe the way that we planned. And so type A gets you nowhere. Where did that come from for you? Well, I knew everything before I got married and had kids. So, uh, I mean, I have my plan. I was with my white picket fence, husband first, kids three years apart. Like I had my plan. And I just figured that as long as you had a plan, God would bless it. And what I'm realizing over the last 15 years since I've been married and had kids is that God actually has a better plan. And so control is wonderful. I mean, that's to me what type A is, is being in control. And control gets you to finish what you have in front of you. It makes you wake up in the morning when you think that things are left up to you. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, Things aren't left up to you and that God can work in these amazing ways if you just understand that his plan is a better plan. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was really understanding that type A meant that God really wanted the best for me and that plan had to be better even if there were pain and suffering involved. In fact, I believe now that it's absolutely because pain and suffering is involved that it was God's better plan. Mm. Well, that leads us to why you're here and why you're our guest today and why my sweet listeners are listening to what you have to say. And you can really teach us. I know so much. I'm very excited, but I did tell you before, I'm also very nervous about this episode because nobody wants to talk about pain and sorrow and grief. And because no one wants to talk about it, no one really understands how to navigate it. Mm -hmm. So can you tell them I know, but can you tell our listeners why you are so, I guess the best way to put it is akin to grief, maybe, at this time in your life? 
Sure. Yeah. So back in 2009, like I said, we had our white picket fence. So I had had my son, Jaden. He was three years old. And then I just had my daughter, Brooklyn. She was three months old at the time. And I brought my son, Jay, to his pediatric checkup. You know, you have to go every year and get the shots. And so I walk in and I was talking with the pediatrician and I said, you know, Jaden's enlarged liver. He had a little bit of a big head. And now he had this speech delay that was emerging. And I just said, you know, what's this about? Because I was a first time mom. I had no idea. And so he said, you know, I don't think it's anything, but why don't you make an appointment with our local children's hospital and just follow up with a genetic counselor? And so I did. I packed my kids up in the car and my son Jaden was crazy because he was three and a boy. And so we pull into this, you know, tiny little cubicle of a room and he's scaling the medical equipment like it was a <laughs> rock climbing wall. And my daughter Brooklyn was in her car seat and we were just trying to wait for the doctor as best as you can in those little rooms. And I honestly went into it not thinking anything. Mm -hmm. And so the doctor walked in and he looked at me and he looked at my son and he laughed. He left or he laughed? He left. He left. <laughs> and that's never a good sign. And so he came back in and he said, ma'am, I think we suspect that your son has mucopolysaccharidosis. And I was like, super Cala, what? Yeah. I had never heard that before. I didn't know what he was talking about. And I'm like, okay, what kind of drugs? What kind of treatment? Like, what do I have to do for this Is thing? Is that like strep throat? I was hoping it was like strep throat. <laughs> I mean, I had no clue. And he said, this is really serious. Don't Google it. Now, oh, this was before Lord. smartphones. So I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So I get home and I'm like... Of course. On the computer. And as soon as I saw the Google image of mucopolysaccharidosis, I knew instantly that my son had it. I mean, just by his face. Okay. So there's a certain look. Yeah. But looking at your son for the last three years, he never looked uncommon to you? No, he looked like my son. I just, it's kind of like Down syndrome, how you can see Down syndrome in many kids, but you also can see their mom and dad or their siblings. Sure. Their okay. Face. That makes sense. So it's like that. So I saw my son's face on this image and we still had to wait to find out what type he had because there's different subtypes within MPS. And so we waited and waited and man, those were some difficult days of waiting mm -hmm. to find out what your future was going to hold. And so the phone call came in and they said, yes, in fact, he did have MPS. Um, he had type three, 3A. So he was type A. Just like his mama. Like his mama. And it was in that moment that I heard that this was going to be my son's future. I was devastated. And so MPS is a really difficult disease. Kids progress until about the age of three, four, and then they slowly start to regress. So they lose the ability to feed themselves, to talk, to walk. They end up in wheelchairs. They need feeding tubes. And then they eventually pass away. And that was the news that we were given. So we would have to watch Jaden um, just slowly kind of fade away, like Alzheimer's, right in front of our eyes. May I ask this? And I know that you're so open. You've already said you're an open book. You're open to any question. And so just pardon my ignorance on this. When you took him in, was his speech regressing? And now you know why? Or it never really came in? No, like his friends were saying like alligator. And he was like, alligator. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it just wasn't adding up to what three-year-olds, three-and-a-half-year-olds should have been doing. And all my friends, 
God bless them. They're like, oh, I know this little boy and he didn't speak till five and he's going to be just fine. And, you know, we didn't know we were new parents. Mm -hmm. And so we were devastated. And then they said, we'd like to test your daughter. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. At three months old. Three months old. Because it's genetic. And so obviously she had a risk of having it. So we had to go back to waiting. And we had faith. We loved Jesus at the time. But when you're getting news like that, it brings into question your entire perspective on faith. And so we waited and we prayed and we're like, God, no, God, no, like not two, like one's bad enough, but not two. And I was driving home from Walmart with my car full of groceries and my mother-in-law in tow and the phone rang and the doctor said, your daughter also has Sam Filippo syndrome. And so I honestly don't know how I got my groceries in my house. Now, your daughter, you called it something different. Yeah. So okay. it's the same thing, but just different variations. Yeah. So type three is called Sam Filippo. Okay. Yeah. So mucopolysaccharidosis has a number of different subtypes. Hunters, hurlers, San Filippo. Okay. We're in the three categories. So, yeah. Did they give your son a time limit? Did they say? It just said early teen years. Oh, wow. So, you know, in my mind still, I thought like he'd be going to high school. It's a hard thing to understand when you get that news, what your future is going to hold. So then when my daughter, we received her call, my mother-in-law and I made our way over to her house where my husband was waiting. And my husband was weeping on the floor and my mother-in-law was weeping over him. I married into a leave it to beaver family. So like, it was like grandma and grandpa, like everybody's around and we're all kind of looking around going, oh my gosh, like, what do we do? And then I saw my daughter, Brooklyn, sitting in her car seat and she was just like, hey, like smiling and just was none the wiser about the news that we had just gotten about her. And my son thought that we were having a birthday party or something for him. And he was doing laps around the house, smiling and laughing. And honestly, it was in that moment that I made a decision that San Filippo or MPS would not get the better of us, that we were going to thrive in this. We were not just going to survive. We were going to be better because of this. You know, and then there was like, the next day. <laughs> like the reality of that surrender is that you have to do it over and over again. And so for me, you know, it was vividly in that moment where I said, my kids are still alive and I'm going to make the most of this and I'm going to watch their light shine. And I am just going to trust you, Lord, with this. And um, those are scary prayers for sure. So then my husband, God bless him, thought that it would be wise to add to our family. And I'm like, are you insane? Like 25% chance every single time we have a child that they could end up with San Felipe. Oh, was there really? And we had no idea because it's recessive. So it wasn't like there was any way to determine that this would even happen to our family. It's not something you can test for. So we had no idea. So then he's like, do you want to add to our family? And I'm like, no, I don't want to add to our family. Like you're insane. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I think God is kind of moving us to that place. I'm like, okay, I will pray about it. Yeah. And then of course I went into like my type A mode. So I'm like, okay, how can I add a child to our family and like manufacture the child that's supposed to be in our home? 
And so we went through like sperm donation, surrogacy, like we pursued every angle that we could possibly control mm-hmm. the outcome. Sure. Until the point that I was like, you know what, maybe we'd adopt, maybe we'll adopt special needs. And I'm thinking like cleft palate special needs, not like terminal illness mm-hmm. special needs. And then I just got this feeling from God saying, you know what, who are you to control and try to control the person I want in your family? And so I surrendered again. And I just said, okay, God, like, whatever you want for our family, I'm open to. And TMI, but one time I got pregnant. Really? Yeah. And so I had to wait nine months to find out if this little baby I was carrying was going to be a third child with Sam Filippo. Mm. And so I gave birth. I looked at her and I thought mama's instinct, I would be able to look at her and I would just know. And she came out and I looked at her and I just knew in my heart that she had Sam Filippo because she looked like a brother and sister. And I was devastated. And I remember praying and crying, going, God, I can't do this. I can't bury three children. And I don't know if God changed his mind. I don't know what happened, but we waited for those test results for three weeks and prayed. And they came back and she did not have San Filippo and she's not even a carrier. So her kids won't have San Filippo. But it was in that moment that I realized that we could no longer hide in the world of special needs and that somehow we would have to live in this world holding typical and terminal intention. Wow. Yeah. Say that again. You realized you would have to live in a world where you hold typical Mm -hmm. and terminal intention. So we would have to watch our youngest child grow and surpass her brother and sister. And we would have to walk this little girl through the deaths of her brother and sister at some point. You know, and this was her normal. She grew up, you know, knowing that this, this was this was how it was. She had two siblings with special needs and we were honest with her. And yeah, so we would have to learn how to parent her and parent them and navigate the tension in it all. And I cannot possibly imagine that. I've talked to another mother who has a child with severe special needs. And so she has to live in both of those worlds. And we talked and there was so much. I cried. She didn't cry. I cried thinking of the guilt that she holds no matter what foot is in what world at the time. And so I don't know how you do it when the cloud of terminal is hanging over your head. So tell us about the last year of your life. Well, so first of all, I do want to say that the the way that I have done it is perspective. So it's what you choose to see when you're in the middle of that. So there's always blessings. And we chose to focus on the things that were beautiful in the midst of the brokenness. And so for us, our kids, Jaden and Brooklyn are amazing. And so is Ellie. And so their light shines so bright in dark places. So it was very easy to keep our eyes focused on that if we chose that, because it's very easy to see the dark places. So we had to choose those light places. But um, that would be really important for our last year. So um, in November of 2017, my son was 11 and he passed away on the 13th of November. And so that was a really, really difficult time, obviously. And then eight months later, this past August, um, my daughter Brooklyn passed away and she was nine. And so within, you know, eight months, we lost both of them. 
Stephanie, do you feel, were you angry that you found out when Jay was three and you had all these years to love him and to grow even more obsessed and in love with him and then he leave? What does a mother feel there? Yeah, I think it's both. I just keep learning that we live in this tension. I think we want to like color code and organize all of our emotions. But what I've found is that they all just kind of muddy up together Mm -hmm. and snuggle with one another. And so grief and sorrow just kind of live in union with one another. There's a lot of paradoxes I find that are true. And so, yeah, I think the blessings that were underneath all the pain and the pain is very real was that I knew, I knew my time was limited. And so I took tons of pictures and we made tons of memories. And I did, I fell in love with my kids because I knew that it wasn't guaranteed. And you know, it's not guaranteed for even Ellie, to be honest. Um, You're right. It's not guaranteed for any of us. It's not guaranteed for any mom listening today whose children are perfectly healthy. Oh, and it sucks. Like that just sucks to understand that, that we are mortal. And yet- Honestly, our souls are eternal things, the things we cannot see that are worth investing in. And so that means that I can love and my love for my kids will never die. What I've clung to is to know that love is what really matters. So we understand now that you've lost two of your three children within the last year and a half, maybe not even that long. Hey, hear me, everyone. Stephanie Boyce is not saying Thank you for coming to me, the expert on grief, by any means. In fact, I love the fact that I'm still talking to Stephanie in the middle of it. Probably could interview her for my podcast in 10 years. And who knows? She might still be in the middle of it because it is an ebb and flow for sure. Grief is. But why do you think it's important to walk this out hand in hand with grief? In other words, a lot of times when people say, well, I'm grieving right now, and we think that a couple of days off work, a little chocolate, maybe a beach vacation, but grief is, it comes alongside us. And why is that important? Why do we have to let that happen? Let it take over? Um, I have to tell you, and I know we are in a good, serious conversation, but I just have to pause real quick and let you know that there was a squirrel that just crawled into my bird feeder. <laughs> on my window and the whole bird feeder just fell with the squirrel. (laughs) But I didn't want you to say, I just need you to know, there's a serial killer trying to get inside my house because I can't help you. (laughs) But here's the thing. I think this is exactly a good point is that (laughs) this is how grief works. And if we don't laugh and if we don't take these pauses in the center of this grief, like if we don't learn how to integrate this laughter with the sorrow, then I don't know how you do it because you don't compartmentalize grief. Grief just becomes a part of your story. It just is interwoven into who you are. And the best part about it is that it gives you street credit. It gives you the ability to go where other people can't go. I can sit in a room like just yesterday I became a pediatric hospice volunteer. And so yesterday I spent my afternoon with other moms and dads that are going to have to walk the same road that I got to walk. And I was thinking back going, there's no way 15 years ago, I would have ever even known that this room existed. And for me to have walked what I've walked gives me the street cred to go into that room and say, mama, it's going to be okay. There is hope and your kids are beautiful and I'm going to just sit in here with you. And so I think it's just so important that We understand that some of the most difficult things that God brings us through 
are also some of the coolest, most amazing gifts that he has given us. Because now we can see things that nobody could see before. Like we have the eyes now to see where um, beauty lies Mm -hmm. underneath the ashes. And I don't think anybody would say, oh yeah, okay, I'll sign up for some pain and some grief and some losing my kids. Like nobody rationally would do that because we're not made to endure that. Mm -hmm. But with faith, God takes these things and I think he has the ability to make them make some things birthed out of it beautiful. Absolutely. In fact, I think that there are probably two types of people listening to this podcast right now. There's this one type who says, hey, guess what? (laughs) If this is between me not hurting and me having street cred, guess which one I'm going to pick? First of all, keep your street cred to yourself, Stephanie. I don't want it. And then there's a second type of people who go, you don't have a choice. Life gives you no guarantees. You don't have a choice. And so I just would say to those who are listening today, maybe they have gone through grief and they're like, what was it for? Or maybe they know they're about to go through some grief and they go, what is this going to be for? And number three, there are those that are like you were that day you took them to the doctor, completely clueless. The world is your oyster, right? We are promised nothing. And if you knew that your pain and your grief could be a healing agent, an essential oil to someone, wouldn't you just say, okay, I'll try? I mean, even if you got to stumble through the dark in your pain, but just try because it's so healing to other people, don't you think? Yeah. And we've been able to look at our situation and listen, I wouldn't wish San Filippo on my worst enemy. I mean, it was brutal what it did. And pain That's the thing about tension is that pain can absolutely be pain. We don't have to sugarcoat pain. Like I had to watch my daughter have seizures. I had to watch my kids take their last breath. Like that is not something to celebrate or- Or sign up for. Sign up for, my goodness. But, or I should say, and those were also some of the most holy things that I have ever experienced in my entire life. And so I can either choose to- bring purpose to my pain and use it to help other people. Or I can just look at all of the darkness about how bad that sucks. And that's the choice that we have is that, no, nobody would sign up for terrible things to happen, especially to their kids. But it was because of those terrible things that happened, because we live in this world, that I have been able to see some of the most beautiful things. Our community built us a handicap accessible home, mortgage-free. I have watched communities be radically drawn together. I have watched high school kids be healed from brokenness through my son holding their hand and saying nothing. I have watched the light of my children because of who they were be able to go into places and shine in ways that typically developing people can't. People with disabilities have this unique ability to show us Christ. It's not about celebrating the brokenness, but they can coexist together. You know, And so I would just say to those people, it's not about signing up for street cred. The question is, when those challenges come, do you want to use them to bless other people? Because it's really easy to just look at the pain and nobody would fault me for having a pity party. You know, they'd bring the wine and the the cheese and they'd get it. They'd understand. But that's just not the life I wanted to live. Ordinary P 
People, Ordinary Things is brought to you by our sponsor, Audible. If you are listening to this podcast, I already know you love listening to amazing talent and great content. So have you tried audiobooks yet? Why not, y'all? It is a thing. Get on board. For the listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a free 30-day trial. Listen, even if you cancel, you still get to keep your audiobook just for giving Audible a try. I hear there's an amazing book called Eat Cake, Be Brave, and the author gave literally one of the single most greatest performances in the history of audiobooks, but I digress. So grab something you've had your eye on. You have nothing to lose, and I promise you'll love it. All you do is go to audibletrial.com backslash Melissa Radke right now. Why why aren't you? Why are you? I will wait on you. I'm you're still listening to this. Seriously. Audibletrial.com backslash Melissa Radke. Let's do it. You used a quote, and I don't know this quote, about gold plate grit. Mm -hmm. And I want you to walk me through that, where that came from and what that means to you. Explain that to me. Yeah. So that's my girl, Brene Brown. You like Brene Brown? Oh, do I ever. She's the captain of the broken team. And it's awesome, man. We're all just like a little bit broken and she's like not afraid to talk about it. I love me some Brene. So in Rising Strong, she talks about it, which is one of my favorite books. And it's this idea that has just really meant a lot to me that, you know, when you read stuff and you're like, well, that might've been for something else, but then it feels like the words just kind of highlight off the page or bounce up off the page. And you're like, oh, those were for me. And so I'm reading her book and I get to this place in the book and it says, Rarely do we see wounds that are in the process of healing. And even when we do see those, we tend to look away because they're too hard to look at. And that's kind of my story is it's like, whoa, I don't know if I want to enter in and look at that because that's really painful. But it says that Renee talks about how the strong are the ones that let us in to watch the process of healing. So many of us just want to like skip to the good part. Like, ooh, the crisis happened. Now tell me how our kids are better. You know, and I don't have a bow at the end of my story. And so to let people into the process of rising, the process of strong, the process of healing, like all of those things to me were so important to not just skip through to get to the redemptive ending, but to watch everything manifest itself. Like, what does it look like to trust God over and over and over again when you're not going to get the outcome you want? And that's perseverance. Do you think that that comes too from being such a world that lacks the happy ending and likes the immediate gratification? So I really don't like to hurt and I certainly don't like to dwell on it. Hello, I want to just move right past it. And so just now when you were talking and you said, we want to skip through to the redemptive end. In other words, we want to skip through to where we win. Yay, it is all done. But the refining, that's in the middle place. And... It's the middle place. It's where the story's good. I mean, <sighs> but when it you're, sucks, Stephanie. It totally sucks. And I'm not even saying it shouldn't. I mean, it does. And that's okay. I think that's the thing is we go, yeah, this really, 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 really sucks. And there's lots of beauty here too. Mm-hmm. And that's the tension. That's life. What we have conditioned ourselves to want so bad in our own lives is just the win at the end. But the truth is every good story has this middle ground where you see the hero of the story wrestling and making choices and growing. And and then that's why the redemption story is so good at the end is because you know that the character fought for that. In a movie, 
we wouldn't want to sit down and pay $15 and get our popcorn and watch this beautiful story unfold and then just jump right to the ending. That would be half the movie be gone. Like the struggle is part of the story. And so too for us. So of course we don't want it. We weren't made to want it. Right. And I think that brokenness and sorrow and grief are teachers. Yes. I think that they teach us something. And I think that you say that beauty can be found in darkness. And I get that. I understand it. I don't even need you to explain it to me. I have found beauty in the darkest places of my marriage. And I have found beauty in the darkest, most hopeless places of infertility. I truly have. But that's because I'm removed from it now. I'm past that now. And I've learned from it. But for women who are just neck deep in the deep end, would you just talk to them a minute? Like, how in the world are they supposed to find beauty in that? They just buried a husband. They just lost their home. They just filed for bankruptcy again. How do they find beauty in that? Yeah. Surrender. (laughs) That sucks. That's a bad answer. Come up with a different (laughs) one, Stephanie. Oh, and I wish I had one. I wish I had a good one. I mean, I have two funerals to go to this week for friends that have lost their kids. Like, this is for real. I live in a world where it just sucks, but we're just not made to do it alone. And I just, I can't sit here and say that there isn't beauty to be found if we ask God to show us. If we surrender and we say, God, the only thing I can see right now is darkness. And we have to go, but God, I trust you anyway, when I can't see your light, can you at least show me one good thing to look at? Because I'm so sick and tired of being overwhelmed by this darkness. And so I would just say to anybody that's in that situation is to surrender and ask God to take control, surrender and let God give you the eyes to see Maybe it's the one lady that smiles at you at the grocery store because God is goodness. He's hope. He's love. He's joy. And so anywhere in the world where you can find those places, it's certainly not going to come exactly from the tough stuff, but it will be birthed within it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I don't want women to give up hope or men to give up hope because life is so heavy and life is so dark. But God is just waiting to jump into that pit with you. And there are people waiting to jump into the pit with you. And there is beauty to be found, some of the most beautiful things to be found. Because that's what happens in darkness is when we are surrounded by darkness in a dark room and somebody turns on a flashlight, where do our eyes go? Straight to the light. And so, yes, 2020 vision is awesome. When we can look back and go, oh, I saw God there and I saw God there and I saw God there. But God has a special treasure for us that when we are in the midst of it, we can trust him anyway. And there is beauty to be found there. I just know it. So don't give up. That's so good. You know, just a couple of months ago, we went to the beach with the kids and my husband was back at the beach house and probably cooking dinner or something. And I decided I would be the one that would stay out until the sun set. And I had my headphones on, listening to worship music, and my kids were playing. And it's fun playing in the water when the sunlight's out, but it gets a little creepy (laughs) when the light goes down. And um, I was sitting there listening to them, and I could tell, even though I couldn't hear what they were saying, I could tell that they were kind of arguing and bickering. And so it's important to know that a couple of months before this, we had all been at home one night watching Planet Earth. We're watching an episode where in the deepest, darkest 
recesses of the ocean where it's the darkest, these fish light up. And so with that in mind, I took my headphones off and my intention was to say, hey, I don't know why y'all are fighting, but just not, you know, that was my intention. And this is what I heard. I heard my son say, I don't want to go out there. It's dark now. I don't want to go into the dark. It's scary down there. And she said, but remember what daddy told us? Daddy said, when it gets dark, that's when the pretty things come out. Now that's just a childlike story. But when it's the darkest, that's where the pretty things come out. And I want people to know that. You don't see it now. You're hurting, honey. These women that are listening to this, you're hurting so bad. And I know, but it's where the, in the dark where some of the most beautiful things can come out and come from. Yeah. And God has placed his light in us. And so when we understand that we have the ability to be the light that we're looking for with God's strength in us, I mean, that to me is what gives me hope is that it's not dependent on me just rising up on my own or pulling myself up from my own bootstraps. I mean, I'm on the floor weeping sometimes. Like this is not easy stuff. Like it is not easy to choose beauty in difficult circumstances, but it's also this amazing gift that God meets us and is in this with us. And you're right. There are some really beautiful things that come from knowing what I know. And they will come for women that are in the center too. And I, I hope that that's what gives women hope is to know that you don't have to be on the other side of your pain to start seeing beautiful things being birthed inside of it. You know, God says that we go through the suffering so that we can participate in his death, but also his life. And those things aren't compartmentalized by time. It's not like you go through your thing and then you get all the blessings. It's interwoven in its midst together. That's right. That's so great. And we don't have to be the type of people that just throw up our hands at the very beginning and say, okay, whatever it's going to be. Even he said, let the cup pass from me. Please, God, let this cup pass from me. Even he didn't want to hurt and go through pain. It's okay that we fight it tooth and nail. It's okay. He gets it. He's a man associated with grief, but the power is in that surrender. One of the questions I wanted to ask is, how can we make sure that we are becoming a person associated with grief and not a victim of grief? I want to be around someone who has learned from their pain and is better for their pain and has become wiser for their pain, is using it for the good. I do not want to be around someone who is just succumbed to it and is victimized by it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I think that's where surrender happens too, is because when you have a bunch of pain and a bunch of suffering, the easy thing to do is to look at your own circumstances and feel sorry for yourself. Like I said, nobody would have faulted me for having a pity party and inviting everyone over and and crying with me. And there is a time and a place for that. But I think it's more about surrender when you get to these places where you go, okay, I want to make something beautiful out of this. And I have friends that have chosen to always look at the bad of Sam Filippo and always look at the, my kid is dying. My kid is dying. My kid is okay. We get it. And we're sorry, but like, that doesn't make people want to enter into your story. Like you were saying. And so if there's a way that you can let God transform your pain and share the dual blessing, it is people will run towards your story because you have the light and light is magnetic. I mean, trees, trees grow to the sun. And the same is true when we have pain and suffering and we can be those people that have that light, people gravitate towards it. We're like lighthouses showing people the way home. We're just like, come, come, you know? And of course, that's why people want to be around us. 
And I, I think it just all boils down to perspective and making that choice that that's who you want to be. You don't want to be defined by that. I'm so glad you said that. Sometimes it's just a decision. Look, I have been around the people who are going to play victim and I don't want to be that. So let the hard lessons come. I will take them on the chin for Pete's sake. But that, I don't want to be that. Yeah. Teach me all you got to teach me, pain. Like come in and sit down and teach me everything you have to teach me. And I want to be better because of it. That's a choice because we both have the same circumstances. We all have pain. So the choice becomes, what do you want to do in your pain? Do you want to be better? Or do you want to sit around and feel sorry for yourself? Because the truth is we all have pain that we can sit and feel sorry for ourselves for. But if you want to do life with people and you want to bless people, then you have to make a choice to turn this into something beautiful. And God is the one that does the transformation. We do the surrendering. He does the transformation. And I had a counselor say to me, Melissa, it's okay. It's okay to wake up one day and go, "Woo, this is a tough Tuesday. I think today I will stay in bed and I will not answer my calls and I will cry all day long. But Melissa, Wednesday's coming. You going to live like that or are you just going to take a day? Because you can take a breather. It's okay. It's normal. But that's what through the suffering means. Right. So you don't get to skip over it. In fact, I think of it a lot like waves. They're like, I can feel a grief wave coming. And so I'm like, oh, I want to get out of the water. Oh, I want to get out of the water. And God just says, no, you have to sit in this. You have to let it wash over you. You have to tumble around a little bit and then you will pop up. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I did this yesterday or I did this, you know, two days ago. We think that just because we did it yesterday or two days ago or last month that we won't get any waves. And and it's not true. And the healing comes from when we go, okay, I'm just going to stick my face in this wave and I'm going to let it tumble me around. And I know I'm going to pop out on the other side. Stephanie, that is beautiful. Just the way you kind of phrase that, I'm going to sit still and let it tumble me around like you're sitting in a dryer. I mean, I'm going to let it move me and toss me and flip me upside down, but I will be better and I will be stronger on the other side of it. I love that. You know, for me, at least, my hope comes from my faith. And so it's an eternal thing that I am trusting. Mm Mm-hmm. So the reason that I can even find hope and joy and laughter and love four months out of my daughter's passing is because I believe that not only is she with me in spirit, but I believe that I will see her again. Absolutely. That the win is the restoration that comes for us all at the end. So the story is not over. I do get my win. I do get my bow. It's just not going to be while I'm here on earth. Um. I'm going to end with this kind of rather long question. I believe that no one can help the grieving quite like those who have grieved and no one can walk with the limping quite like those who limp. And that's me. This podcast is being played a little later than when I'm interviewing you. But in the month of December, I let those around me, my closest people, my tribe know that I walk with a limp in December because December is when on Christmas Day, 2005 is when my son was born, lived for about two and a half hours, two hours and then passed away. Nothing like your story. I didn't get to be with him for 11 years and know what he liked and his likes and dislikes and his favorite color. And so our stories are different, but they're grief nonetheless. And I walk with a limp during this month. So I do a lot of self-care during the month of December. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just give that to myself. I give myself days to cry and vent and be a little bit upset. And then I rally and I pick myself back up and that's okay. My son lived and died, and I'll talk about him because every time I do, I feel like I heal a little bit more. And I hope that you listeners today know that you can mention your husband who passed away. We're okay with it. You can even talk about your broken marriage because that means you've learned from it. 
I mean, I don't speak for Stephanie, but I want to hear your stories. I want to know your war wounds. Wouldn't you agree, Steph? I mean, oh gosh, yeah. That's what unites us. We may vote different and worship different. We may live on different sides of the continent and our marriages may look nothing the same and we may parent so differently. But war wounds and scars, oh, that we have in common. That we have in common. And I know that that's probably important to you. Number one, it's why you do what you do. It's why you go and sit with grieving families as they spend their last moments with a child, because that thing that unites you is your pain. But in the midst of my pregnancy, I began to say four very dangerous words. And I want to ask you about those words. I wish that I didn't know these words and that I never had had to say them, but I did. And so I used to say them often, and I still say them to this day, but I will tell you, be careful if you pray these, because he might just take you up on it. And it's these words, your will be done. How important is that prayer? Did you ever pray that over those babies? Did you ever say that? Or did you ever say, screw that, screw that. I don't want to do that. Forget your will. You know what you can do with your will? (laughs) Yeah, I've said both. Yeah. And I think I was, you know, I'm certainly not Jesus, but I think I started out like, take this cup from me. But if not, your will be done. And those are scary, scary prayers. I have to ask you, what's your son's name? Elisha. Elisha Cooper. I'd always loved the name Elijah. Okay. I loved that name. So we wanted to name him Elijah. That was the plan. And we're going to call him Eli. But when we found out that he was sick and that something was going wrong, I started studying the name Elijah when I realized in scripture, it was Elisha who got the double portion. Ah, And I needed this baby to have the double portion. I needed the double healing. I needed double your hand. I needed double your mercy. And God gave me double. He has Elisha, but he gave me double everything because I have two children and a beautiful marriage and a beautiful home and double his grace and double his favor and double his love and double his forgiveness and double his restoration. Oh, he doubled everything like he always does exceedingly and abundantly above all we could think or ask. But so I named him Elisha because I just needed that little bit more. (laughs) Well, and I love you remembering him in December. And I love you talking about him. You know, to help people that are going through grief, I think the most important thing we can do is let them speak of their loved ones. Absolutely. Say their name. And that keeps the memory alive. Like we're so afraid of grief and pain and how to navigate it with people because we're so scared. We don't want to hurt someone. We don't want to bring up a name and remind them that they're sad. You will never, ever remind somebody, oh, oh, I should be sad that J and B are gone. Like I think about that all the time. So what it does is when we mention their name, we honor the life and the person that they were. Well, yeah. When I ask about Jay in Brooklyn, I'm not reminding you that they passed away. I think you know. (laughs) I'm reminding (laughs) you that they lived and that I know. I remember it. Yeah. And that is the most beautiful gift we can give is just being with, you know, I think of the story of Job, like his friends were nailing it until they started talking. So we mess up all the time because we're so uncomfortable in that place and we're so nervous in that place. But really it's our presence. That is the greatest gift that we can give someone that is in a season of grieving. You're right. More times than not have I prayed. When I don't know what to pray, sometimes I will just pray your will be done because I prayed it before and it did not turn out the way that was painless, but it did turn out the way that was perfect. It really did. The truth of the matter is if Elisha was on this earth today, he would be very sick. He would probably be uncomfortable. He would probably have lived a life of discomfort and pain, and 
He doesn't have any of that now. He's so perfect and so beyond beautiful. Seriously, gorgeous. Look just like me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And you get to see him. Absolutely. He's fully restored in every way. So did I get what I wanted? No, but I sure got what I needed as did he. Yeah. And I believe the same for my kids. And I believe that we all have that promise that we can cling to is that, you know, the bow might not come in the way that we want it, but we really do all get the bow at the end of our story. And you wouldn't be the person that you are today. And you wouldn't be thankful for the things that you are today. And does two plus two equal four when it comes to grief? Like, were those things worth losing my kids for? Well, no, mm-hmm. but we're not doing math. That's right. So thank goodness, because I suck at math. But, <laughs> you know, I think what I've learned is that my kids are absolutely 100% amazing. And that what restoration will come and I will see them in a new way. And I'm so excited for that day. And there's so much to be thankful for every day in the midst of waiting, waiting for that time to come. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Honestly, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I've loved having you. I think by way of a podcast today, you have joined hands with people who are walking through grief and you've just helped them a little bit. And if you can do it in a hospital room with grieving families, then you can do it here. You can look in our notes today and find her if you want to have her come speak for you or even reach out to her. She's so touchable. That's for sure. I can say that about. And here's the other thing I can say about Stephanie. Although today's topic was serious, the day I met her, sun was shining. She was laughing. Big, huge smile on her face. I met her joyful and joyful is how I will always and forever associate Stephanie Boyce, not with sadness or victimization, but just pure joy that can only come from knowing that the bow will eventually end up on the package. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I know we're talking about heavy stuff, but I'm not all heavy. No, you're not at all. You're not (laughs) at all. I can have fun. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll be right back with three very life-changing questions. For a copy of today's show notes, visit our website at OrdinaryPeopleOrdinaryThings.com. You can also keep up with all the latest by following my mom on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Y'all know she is too old to do Snapchat. Also, I would love it if you would go to wherever you buy books and order a copy of my mom's book entitled Eat Cake, Be Brave. You're going to be disappointed that isn't about cake. But you are going to love what she has to say about how she decided to live a life of courage and bravery. I'm so proud of her. And though she will probably not sell as many as I will when I finally write a tell-all book about her someday, I do hope you'll help her out. Okay, Stephanie, thank you so much for being here with us today. I want to end today asking you a few questions that probably are the most important questions. (laughs) No, that's a lie. These are the most (laughs) trivial things we've covered today, but they're a lot of fun. So other than the obvious, you can't say your husband, you can't say your kids, you can't say your fam. Okay, you have to leave out your mother-in-law. We know you go to Walmart with her, so clearly you love her. I live next door to her. Oh, that's wonderful. Who do you love? Who do I love? Well, I love classics. I know that's probably so lame, but I'm so into like Tozer and Lewis and Nowen. Really? Yeah. And I love me some Anne Lamont. Do you really? High class. That's a wonderful answer. I mean, I don't know you super well. That doesn't really surprise me, though. That's so great. And you know what? 
they all go right over my head. So thank God that somebody <laughs> understands them. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, they got some really good stuff in there. Oh, I know they do. I know they do. that's wonderful. Okay, great. See, we're learning about you. What are you binging on right now? And this can be book, magazine, food. I don't care. So this, this is embarrassing to say, mm-hmm. but I just got into cereal, the podcast. Yes. I'm so late. And then making a murderer. Honey, you didn't even watch it when it first came out. I didn't. But here's the best part is I didn't have to wait for anything. I could <laughs> completely binge on all of it. I drove to Nashville and back. On serial podcasts. Okay, but what's funny is that it's literally crimes that have happened. And so, like, you could just skip to the end and, like, Google whatever happened to that kid on serial. <laughs> like, so much has happened since it oh, first came out. It was a complete letdown, I'll tell you that, because <laughs> every time I was like, wait, that's it? You mean I just listened for eight hours and this is what I get? Oh my gosh. Okay, that's great. Okay, so true crime kind of things. Okay, if I find anything great, I'm going to send it your way. Please do. Okay. I do recommend Dirty John when it comes to podcasts. Have you heard of this one? I have. I have not listened to it though. You need to listen to it. It's on television. Apparently they made like a mini series out of it, but go listen to the woman tell the story. It's so fascinating. Okay. And last question. I don't understand why blank. This can be serious. This can be trivial. You tell me. I don't understand why everyone doesn't love Marshalls. (laughs) Do you love Marshalls? Do you think there are people that don't love Marshalls? I think there are people that don't. Has anyone ever said to you, I don't like that store? Yes. I don't get that. They get overwhelmed by searching. I'm like, well, that's the whole point of Marshalls is that you can go there and leave with all these treasures you didn't expect to find. There are people that want to just walk in the store and pick their size. They don't want to like look. Okay. I wish that y'all, Stephanie's the only one that can attest to the fact that my jaw is dropped. I've never heard anyone say that. To me, that's like saying, I don't love America. (laughs) People say, I don't love Marshalls. How can you not love Marshalls? I don't know. Marshalls, TJ Maxx, and then the Home Goods. It's like Marshalls, it's stepbrother, TJ Maxx, and then their crazy uncle, Home Goods. <laughs> yes. you know, it's like they're in a family. And I love them all. They are all invited. Absolutely. Do you have a Marshalls in your town? No, in Lufkin, we only have a TJ Maxx. And it's super tiny, but I don't care. The day it came, it was like, I wanted to cut the ribbon, but they didn't ask me to. I bet there's still some treasures in there. Oh, you know it. Oh my gosh. Stephanie, I love you and I thank you so much. Thank you. This was awesome. Thanks for joining us today for Ordinary People, Ordinary Things. And special thanks to Stephanie Boyce for being with us today. Make sure you look at our show notes to find where you can find Stephanie on social media, like Instagram is Stephanie Boyce 5 But make sure you just check out the notes and then you can email her directly if you'd like to get in touch with her. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast. Guys, please do and leave us a review. And if there's something you don't like, you know what? Send it to me. Tell me. I want to hear from you. Okay? Because I can't do this without you. I always hated the term a new normal. I didn't want a new normal. What I wanted was my son. I didn't want to know what pain felt like. I didn't want to pick out a casket. I didn't want to choose what clothes to bury him in. I didn't want to remember him every Christmas. I wanted him. And then pain came in. And it sat itself down in my life, and I had to get used to that feeling, that new normal. Listen to me, my friends. If this is you today, and hey, maybe it's not a child, maybe it's a job or a marriage, maybe you've lost a grandparent, a fiance, maybe it's a diagnosis, maybe it's a dream. Whatever you are mourning, 
let it come in and wash over you. When Stephanie was talking, I couldn't help but remember a song back when I was pregnant with Elisha before he passed. I sang it to myself all the time. I sang, Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. And blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. And every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. And there's pain in the offering, but still blessed be his name. So sit down. Sit down, and when you have finished being tumbled around in it, as Stephanie said, then stand up and ask yourself what you're learning, and then teach it to somebody else. Become a healing agent for someone else who is suffering, like Stephanie was for all of us. She referenced a book today called Rising Strong, and as she did, I was watching her talk, and it just struck me. The miracle isn't that she's rising. Of course, we're going to rise. The miracle is that she's doing it better and stronger than she was before. But as we know, miracles are all around us. Y'all, we just get so used to seeing them that we call them ordinary things. Till next time.